One Bitcoin still equals one Bitcoin. Mm. And I know the further into the bear market we get, the more painful that comment is. But it, it really is something that people should cling to because the goal here is to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible, right? This isn't the first time that Bitcoin's corrected like this, and it's not going to be the last. You shouldn't be investing in Bitcoin to play the market. You should be accumulating Bitcoin to secure your future. And as long as that's your mindset, you know, these, yeah. these hiccups, ups and downs, they won't phase you. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Good day to all of you, and if you're feeling bludgeoned and downtrodden by recent Bitcoin price action, then welcome into an emotional and intellectual oasis of sorts. Another weekly installment of the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. This week, Josh and myself, Dan, relish the chance to speak with Whit Gibbs, founder and CEO of Compass Mining. If you aren't familiar with Compass, they're a truly fascinating and innovative company. Compass wears a number of different hats, but one of their focuses is on enabling everyday investors to harness the benefits of industrial-scale Bitcoin mining and in so doing help bolster and decentralize the mining landscape. This hour is filled with substance and a plethora of laughs. We cover topics such as weathering the current bear market, altcoin implosions, diversifying your Bitcoin holdings with mining exposure, ROI on Bitcoin mining, including home mining, the state of ASIC manufacturing, and jumping over fires while drunk and eating cheese. Check out links down in the show notes to interact with Compass and Whit Gibbs. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Blue underscore Collar BTC. BCB Podcast is powered by two outstanding Bitcoin companies, CoinKite and Ledin. More about each of them is down in the show notes, including BCB promo codes. Every serious and legitimate Bitcoiner needs to, in some way or form, hold their own private keys. And there is simply no better or more secure device to assist with Bitcoin cold storage than the cold card made by CoinKite. We're talking about military-grade Bitcoin security hardware fit for generational storage and protection. CoinKite has recently released an upgraded cold card Mark IV with improved security elements, USB-C connector, new plastic, NFC, and more RAM for multisig. The cold card also comes with another extremely handy feature, especially given today's climate, that being its shitcoin repellent. Cold cards are programmed to be allergic to useless meme tokens and VC-backed pump-and-dump schemes. If you're purchasing a cold card, be sure to use promo code BCB for 5% off purchases. CoinKite also makes a host of other products including the Block Clock Display Art Piece, the Seed Plate for Metal Seed Backup, and the Legendary Open Dime. Check out all of their products at CoinKite.com. Ledin is a very unique financial services company with a highly principled, Bitcoin forward perspective. They are the first ever digital asset lending platform to undergo a formal proof of reserves attestation, where an independent public accountant regularly attests that the company is properly accounting for client assets. To put this plainly, this company mirrors and embraces the transparency, accountability, and auditability of the Bitcoin protocol and network itself. If you've listened to us much at all, you're aware that we advise our listeners to be careful, manage risk, and never get over leveraged. And that does include ensuring that any borrowing and lending decisions make sound mathematical sense based on your lifestyle and specific situation. Where available in your jurisdiction, Ledin offers a menu of powerful financial services, 
Keep ownership of your Bitcoin and access dollar loans with Ledin Bitcoin back loans. Harness your Bitcoin holdings to buy a new property or finance the home you already own with the upcoming Ledin Bitcoin mortgage product. Save Bitcoin and USDC to have access to Ledin dollar loans in their trading service if available. You can look into Ledin's well-architected menu of services at ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io, and visit start.ledin.io slash bluecollarbitcoin to sign up and receive 10 USDC for creating and funding an account. Okay, plebs, without further ado, here's our chat with Mr. Whit Gibbs. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whit Gibbs, coming from Latvia. How are you? Doing well, Dan, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to this rip. Same as us, man. We've been, uh, we've definitely been looking forward to this. We love what you guys are up to at Compass. Based on some email interchanges the three of us had, I think we'll shelve mining for the day. I think the priority is to talk about why XRP is the, the future of finance. Um, yeah. I know that's really a passion of yours. So. Anyone who was watching the NBA finals yesterday got to see our boy Brad Garlinghouse, CEO of Ripple, sitting courtside giving high fives to Draymond Green. Oh, that, I got to stop before I get crucified by people. It's just, yeah, you know, uh, it is actually before we before we get into compass and mining with everything going on in the market. I do think we owe it to our audience for the three of us to at least off the cuff give some thoughts on what's happened in broader markets in the Bitcoin market hash rate at the same time doing something that may confuse. Give us just some broad uh, perspective on what's happened the last couple of days in the last week in the market. Wit. We're looking for comforting words. Tell, tell all the plebes they're not going to, all their money's not going to disappear. A lot of it's probably going to, maybe a lot more, but they're going to be okay. I mean, the most comforting thing is that one Bitcoin still equals one Bitcoin. Mm. And I know the further into the bear market we get, the more painful that comment is. But it, it really is something that people should cling to because the goal here is to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. It's not to denominate your holdings in USD. So any of these downturns, which I mean, we, they happen every cycle, right? This isn't the first time that Bitcoin's corrected like this. And it's not going to be the last. Uh, the beautiful thing to look at is, you know, on the last correction, what was the level that Bitcoin hit? You know, I mean, and we're talking $3,500 last time we had this kind of pain. And now we're sitting at 22,000 or whatever it is. So uh, it's all about perspective. We hear zoom out all the time, but in reality, that's what we got to do. You know, you're, you shouldn't be investing in Bitcoin to play the market. You should be accumulating Bitcoin to secure your future. And as long as that's your mindset, you know, these, yeah. these hiccups, ups and downs, they won't phase you. Well said. The, the one thing that everybody should keep in mind is that traditionally, <laughs> traditionally, this thing loses 80% on these kinds of downturns. So don't, you know, don't blow everything right now. Like reserve a little bit of cash, be responsible because we could very well see $12,000. It's not impossible. I hope it doesn't happen, but it's entirely possible. But you have to have the gumption, the understanding and the capacity to draw to ride these out. This is, this is really what it is to hold Bitcoin. It's, you've got to have the ability to watch this thing get emaciated down 80% hold tight, add as much as you possibly can, and um, sit on it for a few years. Living it is way different than thinking it. 
And we've been in since 2017. So we lived it the last cycle. We had the same warnings we've been issuing for years now. But when the market actually flips the other way and liquidity dries up, working through this is is not easy, especially for someone that's been new this last cycle. So as much as you hear OG Bitcoiners over and over again saying, Hoddle, like we we feel the pain ourselves and we recognize the pain when you've bought some what what looks like expensive Bitcoin the last several years. I think the other thing we have to say as we joke about XRP is you shouldn't hodl everything. <laughs> like there are <laughs> there are coins and projects that you should you should run away from right now. And this is like my own personal journey. Josh and I both had a, a Bitcoin focused perspective. Well, we we did our fair share of shitcoining and we both came to the realization that it needed to be consolidated once we hit a market like this. And there's no better time than now to consolidate your your hollow projects into things that are actually meaningful, like the the Bitcoin protocol. Unless unfortunately your money's in Celsius. In the in that case, hopefully it's at least in Bitcoin. And I feel really bad for any of those people. I really truly do. I mean, Corey Clipston has called this shit for the last few months he called luna and and then he called celsius and he's nailed it and every one of the calls he's had absolutely yeah. nailed it what what's your experience ar- arriving at bitcoin going through previous cycles what's it been like for you and how does it relate to what we're looking at right now with you know it's a great question and i think that ultimately most people get in for the money and then they stay for the ethos and i was mm. no different right 2017 i bought the top well, the top then, right? It's all about perspective. Those buys right now, by the way, are still up about four thousand dollars per Bitcoin. So still, still sitting, sitting positive there. But uh, you know, I went through the the shitcoin cycle of, of trading whatever I could, and uh, ultimately, I, I took the approach once I realized that Bitcoin is the king of them all and is going to be the one that's here to stay. Uh, I shifted my focus from diversifying interests into all of these you know, thousands of projects to understanding that the real goal is to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. So I still maintain a trading profile, but the entire purpose of my trading profile is just to accumulate more Bitcoin. I'm not rotating any of what I'm trading out to USD and taking profits on that. I take all of my profits in Bitcoin and increase my stack. And then obviously with mining and, and building Compass, the goal there is to help more people be able to, to get into Bitcoin um, through mining. And that's really the approach that I take. You know, If it's not bolted down on my house right now, I'm looking to sell it so that I can get more fiat to rotate into Bitcoin at these cheap prices. And I'm always going to take that stance because the way that I look at Bitcoin is, I mean, long-term isn't the right way of putting it. You know, I anticipate that my grandkids' grandkids are going to get to benefit off of the correct decisions that I'm making right now. And when I think about how my wife and I are building our family and how we think of legacy, it's just it's important that someone has to lay that foundation. And fortune, you know, fortune, fortunately, it's me. Fortunately, I get to be the one to start building this foundation on which the rest of the family can be built for the, the centuries to come. It's awesome. The the other comment I was going to make before we get off the Bitcoin versus alts topic. Uh, we've talked a lot on here about this fidelity piece, Bitcoin first. And I think they've really kind of hit the nail on the head with the thesis of that piece, which is just, you need to understand Bitcoin first. It's not that we have, like we, in clear conscience, we can't say that we've dedicated the time, energy, or effort into understanding the mechanics behind all of these altcoins. And to say that 
every single project is completely worthless. I think there's also some naivety there, but you have to ask yourself, what reaches that investable threshold? And then do you actually have an understanding of the discovery of Bitcoin? Because if you don't, it's our suggestion that you not branch out further. And one of the things you need to understand to kind of parlay into what we're going to cover today is what makes this network secure, decentralized? What makes proof of work tick? Why is it special? A la mining. Agreed. Wait, can you give us a quick synopsis of how did Compass come to be? So in the spring of 2020, uh, at, at that time, I, I ran a podcast called the Hashrate Podcast, and we were focused on, on mining. Um, I went to an event that Fidelity put on, the Fidelity, Fidelity uh, Digital Asset Summit or Fidelity Mining Summit in Boston. And when I was there, that's really when I got firmly orange-pilled with regards to mining. At that, you know, before that, I was covering GPU mining and FPGAs and mining different altcoins and you know, all of those things. And then I went to this Fidelity event, and I really saw that the future of infrastructure, uh, which would support you know, this new financial system for the world really lied within Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network. And that's when everything shifted for me to Bitcoin proof of work and, and focusing efforts there. Um, so I, you know, I, I dug down deeper, went down the rabbit hole, really got, um, really got involved in trying to get my own mining operation started. Realized that a lot of the providers out there um, they had very high minimum order quantities, which for most people were out of, out of reach. You know, you're looking at, Twenty-five dollars to $100,000 just to get started. Uh, and that's not attainable for most folks. And I was thinking that like, if I had this itch and I was viewing this as, as unattainable, I'm sure there are others that felt the same. So wouldn't it be better to give people the ability to just buy one machine, but still provide them the same level of service, the same fair rates on, on power, and the same quality of hosting facilities as some of these larger players? Uh, so did a little bit of market research, realized that there wasn't really anyone doing that at scale. I partnered with a, a couple of people, Thomas Heller, who at the time was with F2Pool, and my buddy Paul Gosker, who was with the Irish police. Um, and we started working on Compass. We wanted to build this Airbnb for Bitcoin miners where you could go to a site, pick out your ASIC. It would be paired with a facility, simple checkout process. Um, and then within a week, you'd be online and hashing. And you know that within a week thing worked out really well until China cut the cut the breakers on the miners over there, and then the market got flooded, um, and we we realized that there were going to be a lot of supply constraints on that. So, you know, that's that's kind of how Compass had evolved uh, for the first year of us being in operation. So obviously, your primary customer is a retail small you know small time people blue collar people like Dan and myself and just people that couldn't afford the $100,000 ante up. I noticed that you guys have a, uh, you guys have partnered with pipe, which is a, a loan company. Can you explain how that works to us? How do, if you go to compass, you can now get a, a loan for say $50,000 to get you started in the, in case that you didn't actually have the 50 grand up front. Um, walk us through that process and how pipe assists people that want to, I, I mean, I guess for a better lack of a better term is leverage themselves into Bitcoin mining? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Pipe has been a fantastic partner. Uh, they, you know, that product in itself is very innovative. And Pipe was one of the fastest uh, tech companies to become a unicorn. I think they went from zero to $2 billion in valuation inside of 18 months. And, uh, you know, when we partnered with them, 
the idea was to give customers the ability to get on a three, nine, or 12-month payment plan and spread their payments out for these machines over the course of that period and at a very low cost of capital, right? If you're looking at finance, uh, financing anything in, a, in the traditional world, you're you know, your, your cost of capital is going to be between 18 and 25% in most cases. And with pipe, it was 10%, right? So it was a, a really fair rate. Um, the, the one drawback to pipe is that it's a finite amount of capital that you can draw from, right? So effectively, every time we launched the, the pipe payment plan option, it sold out the same day or within 48 hours. So it's been something where we have had the product, it's gotten sold out, and then we keep coming back and offering it as more capital is available. But we're currently working on a couple of new financial partners that'll be able to provide um, all of the capital that'll be needed to keep that product on the site full-time. To take a, a little bit of a step back, what are the different tranches of customers that you have? Who's coming to you? And then I want to move from that into who does this make sense for? Like if you're giving sure. the compass pitch what part of a portfolio does this fit into? What sort of individual might be interested in this sort of thing? So for our customers, I mean, we have institutions, funds, family offices, we've got athletes and entertainers, we've got, you know, your doctors and lawyers, we've got people who get into real estate and they've realized realized that the real estate market is now becoming less advantageous for them because private equity is coming and paying 30% above market for every property that's available in major markets. Um, so all of these people are now coming to Compass and, and using us to help um, get them started with mining. And then we also have those people who are just diehard Bitcoiners and they feel that to be a well-rounded Bitcoiner, you got to run an ASIC, run a node, and uh, be accumulating dollar cost averaging, purchasing, using your fold card, whatever the case may be. So we're serving all of all of these different customers in markets like this, um, where there's less FOMO, there's less hype. The majority of our business comes from institutions, funds, family offices, people of that nature, and generally they are looking to diversify into Bitcoin. They've got a large percentage of their holdings in Bitcoin proper, mm, but they want to yeah. diversify by getting some of the underlying um, infrastructure that supports their their biggest holding. Um, in the hot markets, it's retail. Right? When we're looking at Q3, Q4 of last year, you know, 90% of our business was coming from retail customers wow. who wanted to get started. Yeah. That's higher than I thought you were going to say. So you use the word diversifier. Um, it's interesting. Josh and I have consistently batted around many different mining ideas from standing up our own situation, like you initially talked about ideating years ago, to we looked at your compass bundle a year ago. It ends up napkin math, maybe a little bit of Excel spreadsheet work. And it might just be because we're wusses, but we've never fully pulled the trigger. We just keep buying spot. But I think there's a lot of people kind of in our shoes saying, hey, I've got a medium amount of capital that I've saved up. I want this to be allocated to Bitcoin. What role could mining play in sort of diversifying your Bitcoin holdings? Walk us through some, some ma basic mathematics on why you use the word diversifier. Sure. You know, there, there are right times in the cycle to be buying Bitcoin spot. There are right times in the cycle to be buying ASICs. So generally speaking, you want to be buying both when no one else wants either, because mm -hmm. then you're going to get the best prices. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin, I look at it like I'm dollar cost averaging every month, right? I'm, I'm making spot mm -hmm. buys every month, no matter the price. Over time, it'll average out to something that's well below what the current spot price is. 
if you want to denominate your Bitcoin, your your portfolio in USD. But ultimately, if you're denominating a Bitcoin, it's just you're you're adding more as you're able to add it for the future. With regards to mining, certainly there are economics that come to come into play, and you and you have to look at all of those. You've got to consider what is hash rate, what is hash price, meaning how much money am I making per terahash of my machine. You also have to consider you know, where I'm at, what's my geopolitical risk in a certain situation? I know we'll talk about Russia in a bit. Um, you have to look at, you know, which, which facility am, am I in? Am I okay with being partially supplied by non-renewable sources? Or do I need to be in a place that is fully renewable? I mean, what, what is my personal preference? Uh, so a lot of things come into play when you're looking at mining. When you're talking about mining profitability, you're really looking at four inputs, price of Bitcoin, price of your machines, your monthly operation costs, right? And the difficulty. So you're really factoring all of those in. Difficulty can be somewhat hard to predict, mm. but you can look pretty handily at, you know, announcements that are coming out from public mining companies um, and just assume that there's going to be a continued increase of hash rate. Uh, and then if price action is what it is today, that's going to, that's going to change difficulty and not work in your favor. So there's, there is a lot that you have to, to look at what we do at compass is simplify everything for you, right? So when you're coming in, we're basically taking the OPEX, which machine to select, where will you put it, all of that and bringing it together so that you can take the inputs and go to a mining calculator and just punch in the numbers, right? This is the machine that I'm buying. Here's what it costs. Uh, here's what I'm paying for power. And then you can calculate what your return on that is going to be, how many months it's going to take you to break even on your machine. Um, with mining, though, we do get spoiled because there's no other business in the world you're going to invest capital in and look to return on that capital in one to two years. It just really doesn't exist. Yeah. You know? So I, we're seeing miners now stop looking as much at the ROI of each machine on a year by year basis and looking at the cash flow that that provides to them if they want to take a business approach to it. So I'm going to invest 10k, my monthly expenses are going to be $160 for power, but I'm going to generate $300 worth of bitcoin, so I'm cash flow positive each month 120 bucks or 140 bucks, right? So people are starting to look at this and namely the real estate investors who are starting to come into space or taking this mindset when they're getting into bitcoin mining. Certainly the ROI on these machines is insane compared to real estate. Real estate, if you're lucky, you're looking at 10% or so. So I did a small study here, like back tested over the last five years. Mm -hmm. If I had, so there's three different um, options here. You either lump summed in 24,000, I'm sorry, 23,400, which would, the reason for that number is, is that if you had DCA $100 a week for the last five years, that's the number you'd have. So we're talking about December 2017 or so. So if you had lump summed 23,400 at that time, you'd be looking at um, just over $34,000 or 1.2 BTC right now. So that's the lump sum just gone all in 2017. If you had dollar cost average that entire time, you'd be looking at $66,041 or 2.3 BTC, which is pretty great. So now back in that period of time, it was the S9, which was the primary mining machine at the time. That yes. thing's 13 and a half terahashes. Um, and assuming you could have gotten six and a half cents per kilowatt hour if you had something industrial. And, and keep in mind, this is running those 
those S9s for the five and a half years since then, which is kind of unusual. Like most people would have probably upgraded. Mm-hmm. So you'd be looking at 65,145, which is just slightly under the DCA um, at 2.2 BTC. But you also have those S9s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've got, and oh, just so I don't, I want to make sure this is very, very apparent for people. You would have actually mined 12 BTCs with those things. The reason that you only have 2.2 left over is because you would have had sold the other 10 in order to keep up paying the energy costs and all the other things. If you had paid out of pocket for the energy costs and all of the rotating capital there, you would have 12.02 Bitcoins from mining with those S9s for the last five years. So even if you had done nothing but pay the energy costs with those mining machines over the last five years, you'd be just about in the same spot you were for DCA. And if you had been a little bit smarter about it and upgraded, you could be significantly ahead. It's pretty compelling. That's awesome that you went through that. I'm proud of you, Josh. Very proud of you. Thanks, Dan. And we fucked up. Um, we should have done that. <laughs> we should have been mining. Dude, and that was, what, real quick, that's assuming you paid $1,200 for each one of those S9s, right. which means you would have 19 of them. If you had chosen a little bit more carefully, bought a little earlier or a little bit later than the peak in 2017, you could have probably doubled that many machines. That's actually mining at like the worst possible time, buying at the worst possible time, and still comes out pretty comparable to DCA over five years. I think someone could make the argument, like you hinted at, with there are risks. There's geopolitical risks. There's energy risks. There's hash rate risks. But you're seeing, like through a math exercise like this, how this could complement an existing portfolio. In it, this this question might be oversimplified. But to piggyback a little bit on the math and the direction the numbers move, when is mining most likely to be decoupled from spot price opportunity? In what environments is it prone to underperform or overperform just buying spot Bitcoin? Just email us and tell us now's the time to buy it. <laughs> and just make just it super simple for us. Send a notification. We'll just send it out to yeah. everyone. Buy now, yeah. buy now. Uh, I mean, look, not, when, there's, when there is negative price action and there's volatility, those are the times when there's the decoupling and it's usually better to buy spot Bitcoin because you're not going to get, you're not going to have the, the difficulty follow as quickly. You're not going to have the, the hash rate follow as quickly on those price drops. So you're going to be in a better position to buy spot versus mining. Now, once everything levels off and you're starting to see it range or Bitcoin you know, move slowly up um, or drastically up, you're going to have the ability to buy cheap hardware, plug it in and capitalize on that fast movement before the machines have been repriced. So mm. it, that's really what you're looking at. You, you want to yeah. catch Bitcoin when Bitcoin's ranging. And you've got some indication that it's just like everything else, right? You can't time the market. But when you think that we're getting ready to see a market correction, that is the best time to start purchasing your ASICs and get, getting them plugged in. You're going to have some periods of profitability not being exactly where you would want it to be. But the minute that price shoots up, you're going to be better positioned than everyone else. So in times like this, I always look at it like DCAing on your miners. You know, you're going to get yeah. some right now that are $50 a terahash. You may be able to pick some up that are $25 or $30 a terahash in the next couple of months, but it's all going to average out. And you're going to be in a position two years from now after the next halving where you're going to be sitting on machines that your average purchase price is around $35 a terahash. And, you know, depending on the electricity price that you have, you're going to be able to flip those machines for probably $60, $70 a terahash. And that's 
paying off your machines, making profit on them, and accumulating all the Bitcoin that, be, that you've accumulated in the meantime. Right. So you guys are, are you guys seeing the price of these machines dropping pretty significantly with the price of Bitcoin? How do you, they, they do tend to be sticky from what I've seen, right? So they, they yeah. kind of have a propensity to go up with the price, but then kind of slowly seep back down, right? That's correct. So they rise together pretty quickly, right? But they don't move, the price of the machines do not move down as quickly when Bitcoin drops. So right now we are seeing the prices start to adjust, but they've hung out at between $50 and $70 a terahash per machine for the past couple of months, even though Bitcoin has not been performing you know, too well, all things considered. Mm -hmm. So we're now seeing the prices start to drop to you know, 15, 25, 35, $40 a terahash in some situations, depending on if you're buying futures or spot. So is 30 to $35 per terahash a pretty damn good deal? What is the, uh, what's the, what's the price per terahash people should be looking for if they're a value investor here? Like they're looking for the best time to be buying these things. What is that price in your opinion? Let's just take the public mining companies or the information that's out there that we're able to draw from. Right. We look at some of these public publicly traded mining companies and we've seen them place really large orders between twenty-five and forty-five dollars a terahash. So, you know, that those are great prices. But you have to factor in that these are for people who are purchasing, you know, fifty to a hundred million dollars of machines. So mm -hmm. if I'm wit who wants to buy one machine, I'm probably not going to get that twenty-five dollar a terahash pricing unless I want to go mm -hmm. big and, and buy some serious bulk. I'm going to be looking at the top end of that range as my holy grail. Like if I can get $45 a terahash, that's a great price for me if I'm just buying one machine. And anything okay. $10 above or $10 below, it, you know, as long as we're, we're ranging in Bitcoin's price, that's a great place to get it. So yeah. if you can find something $35 to $55 a terahash, you're sitting pretty nice right now. And at Compass, if I have my own machine, say I'm mining at home and I decide this isn't for me anymore, I can, sh can I ship that machine to you guys and have you guys plug it in? Soon, soon you'll be able to. So because okay. of rack space constraints, the constraints, all space that we have currently online is for people who have purchased machines through Compass. The reason that we really, we did that to begin with is because you never know what people do with their machines when they're at home, right? When they sign a contract and they send you their machine, you know, you're committing to host that for them. But if that machine doesn't run, the facility owner is actually going to be out the money that, that they've right. committed. You know, they've committed that space. So we've uh, tried to be our best that we can to the partners that we have on the facility side, making sure that all machines that are placed with them are brand new out of the box, um, so that you know they know they're going to run as they're supposed to. But our goal is to have facilities towards the end of the year that we can we can stand up to receive people's machines who are home mining who realize that it is not for them or more likely the case, not for their significant other because they're loud and hot. Yeah. They're like Josh. They're loud and hot. <laughs> God, God and bless Kelly. Harry as uh, well. Yeah. Uh, let's ask the obvious question here before we get too far in. Cause I think a lot of people are wondering how in the world is hash rate near or at all time highs with price at the current level. We talked a little bit about these industrial scale publicly traded miners, and I think that plays into it. But just walk somebody through that, that that's confused on why those dynamics are at play. I mean, machines have been sold in the past that were meant to be shipped and start coming online, you know, spring, summer of 2022. Facilities were built out to accommodate these new machines and 
everyone was imagining 100k bitcoin was around the around the corner so what we've got is this confluence of events where now the machines have been received by the companies the rack space is ready so they're putting those machines online but bitcoin's price is doing what bitcoin is you know what it's doing so they are they're not lined up at this point um, the one thing also that's important to understand is that even at these prices those people who are purchasing large orders the majority of them are mining profitably so it's not like they're now plugging these question. machines in. Yeah, I mean they've got a very cheap production price for the Bitcoin that they're creating, right? So um, they're still able to mine profitably. So they're going to keep plugging machines in. We're probably going to keep seeing hash rate continue to climb. What will occur if Bitcoin's price stays where it is and profitability keeps dropping is we're going to see these older generation machines start to fall off the network. So those S9s they're going to get unplugged. The S the 15 series and 17 series they're going to get unplugged. The M20Ss, they're going to get unplugged. And that's going to start to bring hash rate back down. But again, then you've got the XPs, the new Antminer machines that are going to start shipping in June, July. You've got the, you know, the Hydro machines that are going to be coming online. You've got all of these new gens, the M50Ss from, from uh, MicroBT, they're going to come online. And hash rate just going to keep rising, which is a great thing for Bitcoin's network security. Let's talk challenges of home mining. This is the hole you're plugging in the market. It's basically that, for better or for worse, proof of work in Bitcoin has reached industrial scale. And there are a lot of hurdles that need to be overcome to have this thing purring in your house profitably. Um, Walk through some of those encumbrances to being profitable in your own home. And then I guess we've already covered some of it, but how you guys step in to, to keep this process democratized while still reaping the benefits of industrial scale? You know, I don't think home miners care about profitability on a USD basis, if I'm honest. And I I think that this this is just a way for people who want to actively participate in Bitcoin's network to also have control over their machines. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's a movement that of people who would say that if you're going to run an ASIC, you should, you should be able to see and touch it, right? Um, and more power to them. We want to support miners of all, all shapes and sizes. When it comes to mining at home, if you are not adept at uh, electrical work, you're not someone who is familiar with that, you need to get an electrician to come in and see uh, how you need to retrofit your house to be able to, to take these ASICs and plug them in. You need to work on heat mitigation, airflow. How do you move the air away from your ASICs? Um, you need to consider noise, right? Effectively, if you're running one of these ASICs, it's like if you turned a blender on and just let it run 24-7. Like that's that's the level of noise. You're looking at like 70 decibels, right? So it's not a quiet thing. You're looking mm-hmm. at a fucking divorce is what you're looking <laughs> <at>. <laughs> Well, depends. If Bitcoin's at 69K, maybe not. But Bitcoin's at 21, <laughs> you know, it becomes a lot less compelling to run it in your house. Um, you know, I really love what Steve and the upstream data team has built in those black boxes, because I think they bring the best of uh, best of both worlds to home miners. They give people the ability to have, um, you know, an easy installable unit that they can put outside, drop a couple of basics in, um, get them hooked up pretty efficiently, mitigates the sound, takes care of the heat. You don't have to worry about much. And yeah, it gives you the ability to run at home. They are. They, yeah. They, uh, they had a couple of them at the display um, at the Bitcoin conference. And I mean, obviously you open the top, it's like a refrigerator. You open the top, it is, you know, 80, 90 decibels or whatever. It's like a lawnmower running and you close it and it, I don't know what, 
I mean, we're obviously in a loud conference, but the noise was at least down to a quarter of what it was before it was open. It was pretty, uh, pretty cool stuff they're working on. Absolutely. The other thing, I think some people and a lot of people probably enjoy the fact that even though they're not profitable at home, the sats they're getting are completely off the grid. Like there's no way to determine who whose money that is once they receive it until they start spending it and uh, the ability of some companies to figure it out then maybe but you're getting basically off the grid bitcoin which is cool it is cool it's also something that nobody should ever talk about so like (laughs) it's, it's it's one of those things that like the more people talk about it the more companies promote it the more it becomes a marketing tool which is what a lot of companies use it for the the shorter the time that it'll be available to people because you're not going to tell the government that you're creating tax-free income and that stick around for too long. Like, it, I don't care if it's Bitcoin or you're mining corn or you're growing corn in your backyard that you're selling for cash. Like if the IRS, once they're cut, they're going to find a way. So I, I agree with you. I think KYC-free Bitcoin um, is fantastic. You know, I think that the ability to accumulate it is one of the, the biggest boons that we have as Bitcoiners. But I think that, you know, some things are, are better left unsaid. You know, Compass, Compass has been fortunate to not K, like we, we don't KYC people before they, before they mine with us. Right. Um, now we can, we have to KYC them if they, if they get a payout from us of any kind, but we're doing what we can to appease the, the KYC free Bitcoiners and also Uncle Sam at the same time. You're, so let me just make sure we're all on the same page here. Sure. If I buy if I buy a miner from you, it's plugged in one of your facilities. I'm controlling from the software that you guys provide that miner, correct? Like I can receive. So when you say receiving money from you, does that mean when the miner starts paying you up Bitcoin, you're KYC'd or you are not? Great question. So let's clarify. So Compass, has, we have two core core business lines, right? One is you purchase an ASIC from us. It's hosted. You're mining Bitcoin directly to your wallet. No one touches that Bitcoin. You own the pool account. We'll help you set it up if you need help, but we're never touching your Bitcoin. We just bill you for power every month, right? Mm. But the KYC aspect comes in. The KYC comes in if you sell through the marketplace, okay? Because if you list your miner to sell through the marketplace, now that's a, a a transaction where Compass is receiving money on your behalf and then we're depositing it into your account. So if we're going to do that, now there is a KYC component that we have to, we ha- we're obligated to fulfill. This is pretty juicy. Yeah. Realistic question. Um, how long do you see that former option holding up? Are you worried that that will go by the wayside, just being totally real with the regulatory yes. landscape? Yeah. I you am. think that yeah. there's probably a fuse on that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I, we, hearing cool, it, though. I agree. It's it's a it's a testament to the ethos of your company that you're offering that right now. But we shouldn't even we, talk about it. Just, yeah. just drop it here. We're done. <laughs> um, hey, if you have an ASIC fire at your home and you work in the municipality, Josh and I do, we will not tell anyone what the incendiary <laughs> device was. Josh is actually a we, fire investigator. We will take that ASIC oh, back to the firehouse. We'll plug it in if it still works and uh, you can write it off on your insurance loss. You know, <laughs> Josh is a fire investigator. That's the specialty team he's on. And I can tell you this much. If it's an ASIC fire, the source is undetermined, folks. Okay. I got I to ask. is always undetermined. Josh, <laughs> yeah. weirdest thing that you have seen start a fire. Um, undetermined. Think. Yeah, I, I we never determined. I, I was probably just somebody that left uh, a drill battery charger in on a shelf in their garage, 
and they left the battery in it for who knows how long. And it got to be like 150 degrees in there in the summer last, was it last July. I think so. And it, it lit up and lit the whole garage on fire. It was probably within a minute or two of starting the rest of the house on fire, but it was like a fully involved garage fire when we, when we got there that, I mean, those battery chargers don't leave them in your garage when it's a hundred, hundred degrees out, you know, it's just not a good idea. That's nuts. Yeah. Mostly electrical fires though. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Bitmain and the okay. kind of monopoly on miner production. Uh, how significant is it? How much of the market share of mining, uh, of ASIC production do they have? Is it on the decline? What are your thoughts on the new Intel product and other competitors? Sort of whether this is, you know, I think a lot of people view their stranglehold on this as a net negative, but what, what trajectory you see that all headed? So I'll preface this with saying that competition in the ASIC manufacturing space is great for consumers, right? Like the best thing that could have happened to people who enjoy smartphones is Samsung and Apple battling it out because we get the best products and theoretically should drive down prices, although that we haven't seen that occur. Um, with ASICs, it's going to be the same thing. Intel entering the market is going to mean that there are more ASICs so that, you know, just a function of supply and demand. We should see lower prices on ASICs across the board. Uh, MicroBT, they've done a great job of taking some market share from Bitcoin and they've made great machines, but their manufacturing capacity hasn't been as high as Bitmain, so they can't serve as many customers. So they're, they're limited in the amount of market share they, they can actually take. Are their machines as good as Bitmain's? Are they as efficient? So they tend to not be as efficient. They don't, you know, their, their power consumption is, is a bit higher, um, but their failure rate is on par or a little bit better. So the new okay. ant miners and the, the what's miners, failure rates are, you know, one to 3%, depending on the model. Uh, they tend to be very good, both of them. Um, you know, I will say though, Bitmain has stepped it up. So there are a lot of people who say that, you know, they've been a net negative, they've had a monopoly, lots of stories around the improprieties that they, they view with Bitmain having some control over the ASIC market. I can say that all of our dealings with them have been fantastic. Their team has been great. Their customer service has been really, really good and improving over the past couple of years. Um, and 97... 98% of the machines sold through Compass uh, since inception have been ant miners. It's a high percentage. Uh, do you yeah. think Intel is actually going to take a big bite out of what Bitmain's up to? Like how, how big of a competitor do you, you think they're going to be? Still TBD on that. I think that they're going to, they're going to start with a, with larger clients. So it's not like everyone's going to have access to these Intel ASICs. We're going to see them hit the institutional clients first, these large miners. I mean, they've announced the four partners that they have. Now, the one hope for the Intel ASICs getting out to the mass market is going to be um, Block, right? Block releasing their, their miners, which you know, Jack has hinted at a home mining solution, which would be fantastic. Um, that's really where I see the biggest hope for those Intel chips getting out. The others, you know, maybe they hit the secondary market, but I, I'm not, not confident that that'll happen. If these machines are, are efficient and cost-effective, then these large self-miners who have, have committed to these purchases, they're going to run them to generate Bitcoin rather than sell them to other people. Wait, what's your feeling on industrial mining companies out there? Do you think that this price action right now is, 
is going to really sufficiently, you know, inhibit them from being profitable? Or do you, do you think they're still good to go? Like, what's the price of Bitcoin where these guys really start to feel the pain and could potentially go belly up? I think some of them are feeling the pain now. Um, with access to the capital markets and considering some of the executive teams that these these companies have, I don't think that they'll go belly up. I think that you know their price, their their stock may take a, a pounding, but they likely the top ten will live to see the next market cycle. There will be some smaller ones who never should have went public um, that you know they'll get they'll get phased out and you know they may go belly up, but. You know, I don't think that they're going to be feeling this downturn too much. I mean, at $21,000 Bitcoin, they're still doing okay. You know, if we got down around 10000 then I, I think we'll really start to see some, some blood with a lot of these public miners. Interesting. Yeah. So keep an eye on those miners. And if you have some real ball sack, <laughs> buy them. <laughs> yeah. Good luck though. Who knows? Yeah. The, the, you know, when we talk about investing in these, like there is default risk. That's oh, yeah. the only thing. I mean, they're, they're dirt cheap and and I think they're appetizing if they're around in three years, which hopefully most of them are. But I think uh, you're naive not to realize that if we do, you know, either here or leg down further, there there is uh, default risk. As you said yourself, they made these huge purchases with the expectation of a Bitcoin that's 5x where it's at today sort of thing. So. Yeah. But I, I sort of, you know, you know I, I resonate with you, Whit. I think with access to capital markets and all this funding, more than likely, these large players are several year several years of pain away from actually floating to the surface with no pulse. <laughs> yeah, the, the the real pain is going to come from a lot of these hosting facilities that have sprung up because of the bull market. They have overlevered themselves when building their facilities. They are committing to power purchase agreements that are very expensive, and they're then passing along very high operating costs to their customers. You know, there's a lot of hosting facilities out there that are charging nine to twelve cents per kilowatt hour, um, which you know might be okay if all of the machines that they're running are the the new XP machines. But if you're running S19s with the Js, with the Pros, with the what, what's miners that are out there on the market, um, your customers, if we see continued price action like this, the customers that they have are going to face some really hard times, uh, and those facilities are going to struggle to collect the the fees that they need to to stay in business. You know, that's one of the things that we're uh, you know, we, we heavily screen against in markets like this. You know, we, we've got an audit coming up tomorrow. I'm flying to uh, to Ohio to meet the team to run a full facilities audit just to to get a, a check on all of the facilities that we're working with to make sure how they're doing financially, um, how we can make sure that, you know, our customers' machines are protected. Um, and what we need to do in the event that, you know, facilities start to face solvency issues, um, because that's a very real thing. And what a lot of people don't understand is if your machines are in a facility that goes belly up, the chances of you getting those machines out in any kind of real way, uh, any with any kind of speed is slim to none. You're going to be waiting for a settlement of some kind uh, in order to get your machines out. You know, And that's I think that's why a lot of people choose to work with Compass is because they've got that safeguard knowing that somebody else is watching this for them. They're not just relying on the operator's word because I mean, if somebody's in financial trouble, what are they going to tell you? Facility right. going to call you and be like, hey man, we're really running into it. You might want to get your machine out and stop paying us. They're not going to do that. Yeah, and we saw that in 2017. We'll see it again this year. Um, it's 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 going to be brutal. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happened with the facility you guys have in Russia? At least whatever you can speak about. Sure. Um, what yes. happened there? Um, what went down, and how did you guys uh, mitigate it as best you could? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's an ongoing situation, right? So the I wouldn't say that anything has been mitigated just yet. We are um, working with our attorneys and our customers' attorneys to uh, get on with OFAC to work towards a resolution for this. We're all working together here. So there's over a thousand affected customers, um, and you know our attorneys and their attorneys just working to get this done. But effectively, the facility Bitriver that we were partnered with in Russia. Um, they were added to the specially designated nationals list, um, and OFAC sanctions came down April 21st. When something like that happens, right? It's it's an event that you I mean you just can't expect in business. You know, the really funny thing is is we were monitoring communications with Moscow through our our partners to make sure that you know Bitcoin mining in Russia was all copacetic, everything was fine. It was, you know when we told customers mm-hmm. it was business as usual, it was business as usual. The only difference is we were looking at the wrong government, right? Mm. So what happened gotcha. is when the U.S. government passed down sanctions, they're not sending anybody advance notice. Like they're not going to say, hey, guys, sanctions are coming down on Russia. They just drop them. And when they drop them, you have to respond immediately. So for Compass, what we did as best as we could to mitigate the damage was provide all ownership documents to our customers, uh, a list to you know the the facilities so that they could match up those ownership certificates, but we couldn't have any communication. We couldn't you know negotiate anything to get the machines off site. There was nothing that we could do without approval from OFAC. So that's what we're doing now. Now we're working to get that all taken gotcha. care of and get the proper approvals so we can get our customers taken care of. What a nightmare! Yeah. Um, have you guys thought of maybe just having the facility start on fire mysteriously, collecting the insurance money? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, now, there. now i know hey. now i know a guy now i know a guy i mean there's a been... there's a lot of electricity running through that place i mean things happen you know things we're taking happen. a three-week uh break at bcb here we're uh we will be in russia just sightseeing <laughs> oh, God. oh funny enough i just thought of this a few minutes ago when you asked me what's the craziest thing or something however something started on fire it was a couple of years ago an eight-year-old got a hold of a blowtorch while his grandma was watching him started this thing up and we, the only reason I know this is because there was the, the neighbor across the street had a camera on the garage of this house. This eight-year-old is trotting around the front yard with a lit blowtorch, trying to light everything on fire, like bushes, trees, tree stumps, the grass. Then he goes into the garage and starts a huge garage fire that almost burned down a multifamily complex. It was Josh's son. Good kid. You know, good kid. <laughs> was the kid okay? Did yeah, he was fine. Out? Everybody was fine. Right. Nobody got hurt, luckily. Good. But it was kind of wild. I mean, we've all played the fire when we were kids. We just didn't have a blowtorch. We're coming up on uh, a holiday in Latvia called Yanni or Ligua, right? It's the Midsummer Festival here. It's their big holiday. And the tradition here is you drink beer, you eat cheese, and you jump over fires. Sounds awesome. It's a great time. Yeah. It's next week. What a holiday. (laughs) Seriously. How big of a fire have you jumped over while drunk eating cheese? Uh, well, fortunately, they've all I've, I've made it over all of them, but I think the the biggest one was not that big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looked bigger than it was. Let's put it that at way. At the time, yeah. at the story, time, the story yeah. makes it three yeah. x bigger than it was for sure. Yeah, and the story was certainly 12, 12 feet in in diameter. Yeah, no well, question about it. Wit for the listener that's you know forty five minutes into this and is like. So all this, like you guys are talking about all this energy and mining shit, and it sounds crazy and unnecessary. Like, why do we need a money protocol to eat tons of global energy? 
Let's talk about the significance of proof of work, why it's important, what it accomplishes, and maybe a little bit about why other solutions aren't viable. We can kind of take this any direction you're interested in. Sure. So, you know, when we look at what's out there on the market right now, if we want to tackle energy consumption first, right? Um, you look at how much energy is needed to secure fiat. Most people are like, oh, not much, right? Printers. We got to plug in printers. Um, you've got armies, you've got governments, you've got uh, things at the municipal level, you've got all of this combining to support the fiat system. The mm -hmm. beauty of proof of work, the beauty of the support of the Bitcoin network is that it takes all of that power that would be consumed by one entity to produce currency that they control. And it distributes that to every person who wants to participate and gives them the ability to secure the network, generate more coins for themselves and have that active control over it. There's no single point of failure with the Bitcoin network, right? If a war breaks out or if a government wants to inflate the currency, they have the ability to control those things. But there is no central control over Bitcoin in that way. And for me, that's what's beautiful about it. Um, you know, when we started Compass, they, the idea was to give everyone access to it and to really democratize the ability to participate in the network. Um, and now that that exists and more people are coming in, more companies are starting to, you know, to, to have this ethos and, and support Bitcoiners in that way. I think it only grows from here. You know, when we're looking at how the network has been secured up to this point, sure, it's been resilient. There haven't been 51% attacks. We haven't seen any hacks on Bitcoin. Uh, like we have with, you know, name that shitcoin chain, right? You pick one, there's been hacks, yeah. there's been hundreds of millions of dollars lost. I haven't heard of any Bitcoiner that's plugged in NASIC and woke up the next day and they've lost everything because of it, right? It's only been a net positive to them and a net positive to the network. So when I think of a symbiotic relationship like that, it's what's attractive about proof of work. But how we move in the future is we move away from this idea that the majority of Bitcoin's network is controlled by... 15 to 20 public entities where all decisions are made by one guy or one board. Uh, and we move to a place where millions of people are running machines that are contributing to Bitcoin's network. They are generating the coins for themselves. They have a participation in the network. And we really decentralize this thing. Like decentralization has yeah. been kind of a meme up to this point with Bitcoin mining because it still accumulates to the people who have the most access to capital. And there's always going to be that that movement towards that end of the spectrum. However, as more and more people take an interest in mining and more people are allowing these these interested parties to plug in just one ASIC, we really move towards decentralizing things. The comment though there too is that one of the beauties of Bitcoin is that there are these multiple branches of accountability, right? So like we kind of lived through in 2017 the the reality of miners don't, they're a huge part of the network, but they don't inherently yeah. control the network. And so you, you bring in node operators, you, you bring in actual hold, holders, users. There's this confluence of different incentives that meet in the middle and there's no yeah. sort of one entity that yeah. can run away with it the way you'd get in say a proof of stake protocol, which could be a, we could spend a whole episode on that. What were you going to say, right. Josh? Uh, no, I was going to comment about the contrast here with proof of stake, because although you know, anyone in Bitcoin who has a significant amount of money can control a significant amount of miners as compared to somebody who has very little money. 
but that's not a hard and fast thing. Like if that person makes financial mistakes, they lose. I mean, there's no way that somebody can absolutely control the way you can in the proof of stake system with proof of stake. If you have say 30% control, you are locked in at that 30% control. And that contillionaire effect is almost impenetrable at that point. Whereas with proof of work, it's a democratized system. Whereas you can control as much as you can afford to control and you don't absolutely control anything as Dan just enumerated. You still have, you know, checks and balances to the system of nodes and uh, other people that can choose which network they're going to actually run. And the nodes, as in 2017, proved, I'd say, pretty remarkably, the nodes run this thing. The miners are are there to provide security, but uh, they don't run the show. Wait, I want to pull on a thread you were getting at here a second ago. You 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 basically hinted at, if I understood you right, you see a you do see a trajectory towards more even more decentralization in the mining sphere. Can you fill in more what you meant by that? Sure. So uh, when it comes down to it, there are now well capitalized entities like Block, right, uh, who are looking at how they can put hash rate in more people's hands, mm, and yeah. that's going to continue to perpetuate as interest in the space grows. You know, we're looking at Bitcoin right now as this thing that, you know, a very small amount of people are even interested in. Mining, even Mm -hmm. smaller still. But 10 years from now, when Bitcoin is everywhere, in front of everyone, most people are knowledgeable about it. And not only that, all the people who are right now, 14 to 21, who are incredibly interested in Bitcoin, but have no disposable income, once those people age up 10 years, they're going to want to get actively participating in the network. So we're going to see more demand for hash rate. So that's really where I see this, this continued effect of decentralization coming in. Another thing is that public markets, uh, while they can be efficient at times, they, they can also be inefficient at times. And we're seeing now that, um, you know, mining companies are going public to access capital markets so that they can grow their, grow their mining operations and, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, but really, what it's going to come down to, I think, in the future, is that access to capital. While it will always be there, it's going to be more readily available to the everyman and every woman, to where they're able to get access to more hash rate. Um, I, I just see this continuing to perpetuate. I've seen people putting together like home projects where they, you know, turn their water heater and they basically use some Bitcoin miners to heat water or yeah. use their home heat, like heat their home with it and all of that. I just bought a new pool heater for a pool that I have, and I am really ashamed of the fact that things are just literally pissing away energy, burning tons of natural gas, and it's heating the pool great, but I feel like it should be mining Bitcoin and heating my pool at the same time. Like This could offset a good amount of the costs of heating this pool could be paying me in Bitcoin. Like This, this is something I'm sure people are working on out there. There's got to be some entrepreneurs that have thought of this, but yeah. if anyone is listening and they're thinking about Please heat my pool with Bitcoin miners. I'd love to do that. I saw a hot water heater. There is somebody who built a hot water heater that that runs with runs with ASICs. Um, yeah, there, I mean, I've seen this. people who people who dry wood. They they cure wood with with ASICs. People who are growing pot with the heat from ASICs. People who are growing Perfect. tomatoes. Um, people who are growing lab rats. People who are growing crickets. Right, there are a lot of applications for the the heat for the, re, the utilization of the heat that's put off from the ASICs. And I think that we're going to continue to see creative uses for that. Again, as more people want to get these things in their home, they're going to look at wasting nothing and maximizing profitability on everything. 
Yeah, especially as energy costs rise and rise and rise. If oh, you yeah. can offset your energy cost by using a Bitcoin miner to heat your water, I mean, it's a win-win situation. You'd be a you'd be a complete bonehead not to be doing that. Right. Let's talk about the composition of energy sources in industrial mining. Maybe we, we could zero in on compass. Like where's the energy coming from? Does that matter to you? Um where do you see that headed with incentivizing renewables? So it, it's a it's an interesting dynamic when you're you're running a business, right? Because what what I like or want doesn't really matter. You know, it's ultimately it comes down to what the customers want and and what they're demanding, and we have a a responsibility responsibility to provide that. So when it comes to the Bitcoin crowd, really, there's not a a major consideration for the energy source. They're looking for cheap, plentiful power, and we try to provide that. Um, Compass right now, in total, our mix is about 75% renewable, and we're always working at how we can how we can increase that for the future. Um, because we know that as we branch outside of the Bitcoin community and we start to reach a, la- a larger audience, they are going to care where the energy is coming from because that's what they've been fed by the media for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think ESG is bullshit. I think it's a, a massive scam. That's uh, you know, I think that many Bitcoiners have have talked about this, um, but I, I just think it, it's a it's a great investment thesis that was thought up by someone so that he could uh, you know sell wrecks and credits um, from facilities that they had stood up, which it's vaporware. Uh, very hard to measure, very hard to track. Sounds good, but ultimately is just yeah. a shitcoin by another name. So I agree with you. Oh, something that we missed as we were talking about what Compass does. And I'm curious about um, Brains is an OS that you can install on a lot of Ant miners. Do you guys do that for a customer if they had requested it? Do you guys allow that OS to run? I think it it increases the efficiency, mines a little bit more Bitcoin and uh, allegedly I don't I'm not very familiar with it. I don't use it myself. I've just listened to Marty Bent talk about it and looked at their website a little bit. Do you guys offer that or is that not something you guys do? Uh, just because of the scale of the operation, it's not something that we offer. But you know, we do, for people who are looking to set up the, the I mean, slush pool that's also through Brains, that of course will help them with. Um, we do help people who are setting up their home mining operations get Brains OS installed, if it makes sense. Uh, you know, the running joke with, with Ed and the Brains team is when what's minor when are we going to get the what's minor support yeah uh, a lot of people are waiting on that but it's it's just not something when we've got you know i think it's sixty seven thousand asics running right now at 35 different facilities it's just not something that we can do at scale at this point for the customers it makes total sense like i can imagine being in your shoes having to go individually I would imagine it would have to be individually going to each one of these yeah. asics that they particularly ask this for yeah it would be a nightmare Brains is great though. I, I will shout. I will say they are a fantastic operating system. That's everyone who's home mining should be running Brains for sure. Uh, I want to go back to renewables briefly and just ask somebody that's intimately connected with the energy markets and Bitcoin. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, narrative matters. Like yeah. the narrative that your customers buy into matters tremendously. So I totally, totally get that. But it, w- when you're looking at profitability for yourself and your customers, as you alluded to, you're looking for mm-hmm. cheap, plentiful energy. You said 75% of yep. it is renewable currently. Do you view 
Bitcoin as a sort of subsidy incentive for renewables? Or do you think there's some hollow hype there? How and where and to what extent do you think Bitcoin and renewables end up married? Do you think that's a little bit of a a pie in the sky, hopeful, sort of outward facing narrative for Bitcoin or there's actual reality? So there could be reality to it. I think the next election in the United States is going to determine how much of a reality that is. Um, not to make it a political thing, but I think unfortunately Bitcoin is becoming a bit of a partisan issue. I, I think that if current administration stays in, we're going to see some uh, some further incentives for people who are looking to mine with renewables. Now, as an operation who has a majority of uh, our customers on renewable energy, hey, look, I'll take money if you want to give us money. But um, you know, I, I I don't really see the marriage occurring unless the current administration stays in. When we're when we're looking at where we source power from, um, it just so happens that renewables tend to be the most plentiful and, and the cheapest that we have found. There are certainly mm-hmm. options out there that can be cheaper if you are a power producer, um, but you run into lots of other issues. You know, There are coal plants that are attached to Bitcoin mining operations and sure, maybe the power is cheaper, but your uptime may suffer. You may not have the same uptime that you would have elsewhere. So there are a lot of things you have to look at. And we've yeah. just found that you know, those facilities that we have personally that are running on mostly renewables, they tend to be the cheapest power with the best uptime for us. It seems ultimately the market dictates all this stuff. Like nobody wants to plug in their Bitcoin miner and pay more. Like if, if renewables are cheaper, that's the way people are going to decide to go because they're going to look for the cheapest available. And maybe there are some ideological people that will pay extra for, you know, the comforting thought that they're not polluting. But by and large, as you sounds like you enumerated, most people are just looking for the cheapest power. If that's hydro, it's hydro. If it's solar, it's solar. And if it's wind, it's wind. But if it's coal, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. The thing is, this is something actually Mags Gronowska explored with us a little while ago. And that's that for better or for worse, the regulatory landscape is an input in the market. And when you start considering the likely inevitability of carbon taxes and subsidies for renewables, this is going to exist, right, in the energy marketplace, in the mining marketplace. And maybe devoid of that, the dynamics would be different, but they those things do exist. They will continue to exist under any political regime. And miners are going to flow to the low ground wherever that is, even if it includes subsidies and factors in carbon taxes. Yep. It's a good point by Mags. She's 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 great. I think that the the best thing that has happened to the Bitcoin mining space over the past couple of years is the amount of incredibly intelligent people who are now making this their life's mission and focusing on this space is it's the one of the biggest wins for us as an industry. Because we've went from, you know, a bunch of dorks who hooked up hooked up some stuff in a garage, made some money, expanded into to warehouses and continue to grow that. So now people who understand how to play the politics, understand how to educate politicians, understand how to bring them in to what we're doing so that they can fight our fights for us and with us where it really matters. It, it's, it's, it's very important for the space. I mean, we can snub our nose at the system all we want, but I mean, look at what the system did in Russia. All it takes is a stroke of a pen and your mining operation can be offline and you're stuck like Chuck. Mm-hmm. We could go on for another hour with mining questions, but uh, we'll call it here. We'll have you back again at some point. Um, Thank you. This has been awesome. 
close with anything you want and give our audience a handoff to yourself and Compass. Well, first of all, Dan, Josh, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's always great to chop it up and talk mining with people. You know, for for us at Compass, we're going to continue to be here to serve miners, big and small. Um, we've got a, about 150 megawatts that are left to come online between now and the end of the year. Uh, we'll be releasing more capacity for customers um, each month from now until December. If you want to find more about a, uh, more out about Compass, just go to compassmining.io and you can find me on Twitter at Bitcoin Broski. I like to shitpost and not take things too seriously. May drop a well-placed F-bomb every once in a yeah. while, but I like to I like to use Twitter to have some fun. Maybe once in a while tell someone to go fuck themselves, whatever. Hey, that's a <laughs> yeah. hat tip there. Any any responsible, ethical fireman with integrity has dropped a go fuck yourself once in a while in their career. Dan, I don't think that we've told anyone to go fuck themselves from our Twitter Twitter handle. I think that we need to rectify that. Let's get out there and swing. We'll CC wit the first time we do it. <laughs> I might just have to set you guys up to tell me to go fuck myself. Then we can all <laughs> yeah, can like get just, your yeah, win. Just troll us. W. <laughs> Wit, thank you. Seriously, appreciate your time. Thanks, gents. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB Podcast.